I'd like to pick this episode up at 425b, where Socrates says, at least it's likely, Adimantus, that the starting point of a man's education sets the course of what follows too, or doesn't like always call forth like. Of course. Then I suppose we'd also say that the final result is some one complete and hearty thing, whether good or the opposite. Of course, he said. That, I said, is why I, for one, wouldn't go further and undertake to set down laws about such things. That's proper, he said. And in the name of God, I said, what about that market business, the contracts individuals make with one another in the market, and if you wish contracts with manual artisans and libel, insult, lodging of legal complaints and the appointment of judges, and of course, what other, whatever imposts might have to be collected or assessed in the markets or harbors or any market, town or harbor regulations or anything else of the kind, shall we bring ourselves to set down laws for any of these things? It isn't worthwhile, he said, to dictate to gentlemen. Most of these things that need legislation, they will no doubt easily find for themselves. Now, I need you to see the contrast between that and where we began with Cephalus slash Cephalus at the beginning where he said justice is what is owed. Minus the laws that would govern contracts, there are no pillars to hold up this institution. Um, and so again, Mr. Courage and I have uh, said this more times than we care to remember. It's preposterous. To suggest this is absolutely preposterous. So he moves from there to um, Socrates saying, yes, my friend, I'm picking up at 425e. Yes, my friend, I said, provided that is a God grants them the preservation of the laws we described before. And if not, he said, they'll spend their lives continually setting down many such rules and correcting them, thinking they'll get hold of what's best. You mean, I said, that such men will live like those who are sick, but due to licentiousness aren't willing to quit their worthless way of life? Most certainly. And don't they go on charmingly? For all their treatment, they get nowhere except, of course, to make their illnesses more complicated and bigger, always hoping that if someone would just recommend a drug, they will be, thanks to it, healthy. Yes, he said, the affections of men who are sick in this way are exactly like that. What about this, I said. Isn't it charming in them that they believe the greatest enemy of all is the man who tells the truth? Namely, that until one gives up drinking, stuffing oneself, sex, and idleness, there will be no help for one in drugs, burning, or cutting, nor in charms, pendants, or anything of the sort. Not quite charming, he said. Being harsh with the man who says something good isn't charming. You are not, I said, as it seems, a praiser of such men. No, indeed, Baizus. Therefore, if, as we were just saying, the city as a whole behaves like that, you won't praise it either. Or isn't it your impression that the very same thing these men do is done by all cities with bad regimes, which warn the citizens they must not disturb the city's constitution as a whole under pain of death for the man who does? while the man who serves them most agreeably with the regime as it is and gratifies them by flattering them and knowing their wishes beforehand, being clever at fulfilling them, will on that account be the good man and the one wise in important things and be honored by them. They certainly do, he said, seem to me to act in the same way, and I don't praise them in any respect whatsoever. And what about the men who are willing and eager to serve such cities? Don't you admire their courage and facility? I do, except for those who are deceived by them and suppose that they are truly statesmen because they are praised by the many. How do you mean, I said? Don't you sympathize with these men, or do you suppose it's possible for a man who doesn't know how to take measurements not to believe it when many other men like him say he's a six-footer? No, I don't. that I don't suppose. Then don't be harsh, for such men are surely the most charming of all. 
setting down laws like the ones we described a moment ago and correcting them, always thinking they'll find some limit to wrongdoing in contracts and the other things I was just talking about, ignorant that they are really cutting off the heads of a hydra. Well, he said, they do nothing but that. I, for one, I said, therefore thought that the true lawgiver wouldn't have to bother with that class of things in the laws and the regime, even in a city with a bad regime or in one with a good regime. In the one case, because it's useless and accomplishes nothing. And in the other, partly because anyone at all could find some of the things, and partly because the rest follow of themselves from the practices already established. Then what he said might still remain for our legislation. And I said, for us, nothing. However, for the Apollo at Delphi, there remain the greatest, fairest, and first of the laws which are given. What are they about? Foundings of temples, sacrifices, whatever else belongs to the care of gods, demons, and heroes. And further, burial of the dead and all the services needed to keep those in that other place gracious. For such things as these, we neither know ourselves nor in the founding a city shall we be persuaded by any other man, but if we are intelligent, nor shall we make use of any interpreter other than the ancestral one. Now this God is doubtless the ancestral interpreter of such things for all humans, and he sits in the middle of the earth at its navel and delivers its interpretations. So we have to make another decision. Right here at 427C, is Socrates playing it straight? Remember, he's going to be brought up on charges of not respecting the gods and of teaching falsehoods about the gods. And yet, here he is defending the, the founding laws for temples, sacrifices, whatever belongs to the care of gods, demons, and heroes. And I find it striking that he also mentions... Uh, this question of proper burial because when he took Homer to task it was in book 22 where Hector gets anything but a proper burial there he will later on after his father ransoms his body but that ransoming of body and that refusal to bury uh, to do the funeral pyre at, in its appointed hour that I think is something that the youth found intriguing a kind of Achilles unchained un, unmoored um, and that's something that I still can't tell whether Socrates is playing it straight on that either. Is that to be avoided, this wanton violence, uh, gratuitous violence? Uh, and, or can it not be avoided because it's a desire that these young men have? So, when Glaucon says at 427E, you're talking nonsense. You promised you would look for it because it's not holy for you not to bring help to justice in every way in your power. What you remind me of is true, I said, and though I must do so, you too have to join in. We'll do so, he said. Now then, I said, I hope I'll find it in this way. I suppose our city, if that is, it has been correctly founded, is perfectly good. Necessarily, he said. Plainly, then, it's wise, courageous, moderate, and just. That notion of the laws being wise, courageous, moderate, and just are developed by the Athenian stranger in Plato's Laws. So that's another echo that you might want to be attentive to. Um, therefore, just as any other four things, if we were seeking any one of them in something or another and recognized it first, uh, that, that would be enough for us. But if we recognized the other three first, this would also suffice for the recognition of the thing looked for. For plainly, it couldn't be anything but what's left over. What you say is correct. So remember, they had wise, courageous, moderate, and just. So he says, if I find wise, courageous, and moderate, then just must also be present. 
with these things too, since they happen to be four, mustn't we look for them in the same way? Plainly. Well, it's wisdom, in my opinion, which first comes plainly to light in it. And something about it looks strange. What, he said, the city we described is really wise, in my opinion. That's because it's of good counsel, isn't it? Hmm, yes. And further, this very thing, good counsel, is plainly a kind of knowledge, for it's surely not by lack of learning, but by knowledge that men counsel well. Now, I think this begs a question. There is a space, I would argue, between knowledge of the good and acting rightly. Um, and he is purposely like bridging that and avoiding naming that gap. But this will lead to this word that I put up in Schoology called aporia. Um, and that is the, the, the befuddlement, the puzzlement that we are going to end up with for this Calypolis as we move further into book five. So I need you to think clearly about this gap that he is overlooking between knowledge and action. All right, I'm going to skip down a little bit, and I'm now at 428D. What about this, I said? Is there in the city we just founded a kind of knowledge belonging to some of the citizens that counsels uh, not about the affairs connected with some particular thing in the city, but about how the city as a whole would best deal with itself and the other cities? There is indeed. What and in whom is it? It's the guardian skill, he said, and it's in those rulers whom we just now named perfect guardians. Thanks to this knowledge, what do you call the city? Of good counsel, he said, and really wise. Then do you suppose, I said, that there will be more smiths in our city than true guardians? Uh, far more smiths, he said. Among those, I said, who receive a special name for possessing some kind of knowledge. Wouldn't the guardians be the fewest of all in number? By far. It is therefore from the smallest group and part of itself the knowledge in it, from the supervising and ruling part that a city founded according to nature would be wise as a whole. And this class, which properly has a share in that knowledge, which alone among the various kinds of knowledge ought to be called wisdom, has, as it seems, the fewest members by nature. So I think that's worth paying attention to. The fact that there is this kind of theocracy if you're going to live in a state where that knowledge is religious in nature and that there might be something like a, uh, an elite class. And we'll have to ask whether the knowledge of the city is tied to the knowledge of that elite class. So that's it for this uh, next episode. Well, we are calling it at... Uh, at just about 429A.